My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. It's great to see every one of you here. Uh, we're in the middle of a short series now called It's Just a Phase. And if you're a parent here in the room, if you're a grandparent, I'm sure as you watch that video, uh, maybe put a kind of little lump in your throat, just the thought of wow, how quickly those phases go by. And that's the idea behind this series, that it's just a phase. We don't want to miss it. You know, I can remember when Ben was born, he was... Um, uh, a, a baby, we brought him home, and we'd bought this brand new crib, or, um, yeah, crib, is that what you call it, with a wooden sled? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time, he doesn't sleep in it anymore. So. <laughs> we got it from Ikea, and it was one of these ones where you could adjust the height of the mattress, and because he was a newborn, we'd set it on the highest thing so we could reach in real easy and get him out, and um, he, it just seemed like he'd only just been born, and Casey's like, you need to lower that thing now. He's getting bigger. I'm like, I will, I will. I'll, I'll get to it. And um, one day, I remember being at work, and she called me. She goes, guess what? It's like, what? She goes, I told you you should have lowered it. He can stand up now. And today, he stood up, and he leant over, and he fell out. Yeah, <laughs> onto the floor. I'm like, ah. So I actually, I felt so bad as my first son. He's still with us today. He survived, I'm pretty sure. So, um, he, uh, I felt so bad I stopped at the toy shop on the way home and I bought this little plastic hammer. And I came home and I was like, here you go, buddy. You can hit daddy on the head with this because I should have, have fixed your crib. And, uh, but in my mind, he was, still, he was still an infant. But that phase, that had changed so quickly. And before I knew it, he was pulling himself up and he was standing. And, and if you're a parent here this morning, it's just kind of scary sometimes, isn't it? How quickly uh, kids grow up, how quickly they go from phase to phase. So we're talking about that as a church here this morning and how in these phases we can play a part in the spiritual growth of our kids and the kids in our lives. Last week, we kind of kicked off with the idea that uh, for many of us, we're parents or grandparents or uncles or aunts, and we brought forward this challenge that actually, maybe outside of the church, there is a very big responsibility for us in the lives of the next generation, that we have a role to play, that we have a responsibility, that we need to come up with a plan of what we're going to do to pour into the lives of the kids in our life from a spiritual point of view. So last week, we asked a couple of questions. We asked a, a couple of questions for everyone here. The first was, am I modeling to the next generation what it looks like to follow Jesus? Am I modeling to the next generation what it looks like to follow Jesus? Some of us get hung up on this idea, I'm not sure what to do or what to say or what to teach my kids. But actually, first and foremost, it probably can be summed up in that question. Am I modeling? Am I showing them what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus? And then the second question we looked at last week was, am I spiritually available to the next generation? You see, if you're a parent here this morning, you're super available. I know you're running your kids all over town to soccer practice and band and um, whatever else they have to do. And, and we make ourselves very available to the kids in our lives. But are we spiritually available to the next generation? Is that something we're thinking about? How can I be ready to answer maybe some of those deeper questions they may have? How can I um, maybe use some of those moments where we're driving in the car together or eating dinner together to maybe have a conversation about what God means to them and what he's doing in their lives? So last week, that's what we were looking for, you know, where we as parents and adults can be available and can be influential in the lives of kids. 
But this week, I want to spend a little bit of time because we talked about the fact that really there's a partnership. It's like a combined front that we take on with parents and the church. So this morning, I want to talk more about the church's role in the spiritual development of children. Because I think it's really important for the church to have a role. And I actually think it's important for the church and the family to work together. And here's why. Who, does anyone know what this is that I've got in my, my hand here? I'll give you a clue. I'll take it out of the box. Anyone recognize this? Yeah. This is a cassette tape for those of you under the age of 20 in the room. Um, I wanted to use it as an illustration this morning and found that I didn't actually own one anymore. I had to go to Goodwill, and the only one they had, this was literally the only cassette tape in Goodwill, Caribbean Romance. Yeah. So I'll be digging out the tape player later. But, uh... <laughs> so if anyone needs to borrow my Caribbean Romance tape, or if you've been looking for it, I, I have this available. So... So if you're in the room here this morning and you're under the age of 20, you're probably like, what is that even? Well, well, let me explain. Basically, when I was your age, this was my iPod. Now, you might be like, what, you checked Instagram on it? No, iPods and iPhones used to be used for music, okay? And uh, this is what I would use to listen to music. When I was young, growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, I would listen to tapes. This was the first album I ever bought on tape, Tears for Fears, The Hurting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. So, um... So we owned these. This is what we did music on, and they were brilliant. Because if you had a tape player and you were listening to a song and you wanted to skip that song, it was really easy to skip to the next song. You just kept play held down and then you pressed fast forward at the same time and it would go, you'd hear all this noise and then it would start to fade down and then you knew you were between songs and you took your finger off and the next song started. Fantastic. I mean, I don't know why they ever felt they needed to improve on this. You could get blank tapes and make your own music, make your own mixtape. Anyone have any mixtapes growing up that they used to write the tracks down on the outside? So for me, the chart show would come on on a Sunday night, so I'd be ready, I'd have my blank tape in the tape player, and every time one of my favorite songs came on, I'd, I'd have it on record and pause, and I'd unpause, and then I had to sit there for four minutes while it recorded the song in real time, and then try and stop it real quick before the next song started. So inevitably, most of my mixtapes, I would listen to my, my favorite songs, they all had two or three seconds of a DJ talking at the beginning and then another song at the end. But in the middle was the song that I wanted. These things were amazing. But the truth is, we live in a society where things are constantly changing and constantly developing. And you'd think that this system was perfect, but apparently not. Because now we live in an age where you can just digitally download a song anytime you want. In fact, if you don't even know what the song is, you can ask Siri, hey, Siri, what's this song? Hey, Tape, what's this song? It's just not cutting it. It's not really working. Play that for me. It's just... So things are changing. Things are... And this is becoming obsolete, has become very obsolete. So why am I talking about cassette tapes this morning? Well, you see, the cassette tape is a great example of something that in our culture has faded over time. Although maybe there are some hipsters here this morning who are trying to bring it back. But the reality is that what was once very popular has now become obsolete. For a generation growing up in the 80s, this new thing came in called the CD. And pretty long, pretty quickly, tapes were going and CDs were coming in. 
And those who were listening to tapes were probably upsetting the people who had all their eight tracks because now they couldn't play them anymore. And now we live in a day and age where if you're young here in the room this morning, if you're still in high school, you probably don't even have CDs. All your music is downloaded straight to your phone. This is called a generation gap. A generation gap when one thing moves to the next generation and the previous thing becomes obsolete. And here's why I'm talking about cassette tapes this morning. Because for all of us, especially those of us who are parents in the room this morning, who are followers of Jesus, we have this concern for our kids. We don't want our faith to go the way of the cassette tape. We don't want to say, we don't want to think, man, my faith in God is real. My faith in Jesus is real. But I don't want it to be like a cassette tape that as my kids grow older, it becomes obsolete. That was just something that, that mom and dad were into. And you'll find that like so many other things, if we don't have a plan, faith can go the way of the cassette tape. And I know that if you're here this morning and your kids are growing up, we're very aware of how quickly those phases change. Last week, we showed the bumper video. This morning was kind of like a, a condensed version. We hit um, infancy and elementary school. Next week, we're going to look at middle school and high school. But last week, we kind of rolled them all into one. And as the lights came up, I looked up, and I could see some people kind of <laughs> wiping tears from their eyes. I could see some uncontrollably sobbing. I, <laughs> I apologize for that because I know it's a moving video because you watch it, and you realize how quickly we move through these phases. But I think it challenged every one of us, didn't it, to think, I don't want to miss a single phase in the life of my child. It challenged you. It challenged me that I want to leave a legacy to the next generation. As the pastor of Connect Church, I want to leave a legacy to the kids that are next door right now. As a dad, I want to leave a legacy in the life of my own children. And we talked about this idea, didn't we, that um, the family has far more opportunity to spend time with kids than the church. There are 720 hours in a month, and if you attend church every single week, we'll still only get to see your kids for four out of those 720 hours. So we can't afford to leave that spiritual legacy just to the church alone. We have to take some responsibility as parents. But I want to assure you this morning that as a church, we take this very seriously also. We really believe that we have a, a mission, um, a calling to influence the next generation, to introduce them to Jesus. There's a great pastor who lives up in Chicago. He's got a huge church up in the suburbs of Chicago. His name is Bill Hybels. And one of his uh, most famous quotes, he says this a lot, is that the local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that. I believe that. We showed a video a couple of weeks ago of Billy Graham, and he was a fantastic man of God who preached all over the world. But I think even that famous evangelist who's traveled across this globe would agree with the idea that although evangelism's great in stadiums, the reality is day in, day out, week in, week out, the local church is the hope of the world. In fact, we believe this so much here at Connects that we've resourced other churches in America and across the world, in South America and Ecuador. We've helped establish brand new churches so that they could reach the next generation in their communities. Because here's the truth. While parents really have the greatest influence in the next generation, the church also has a role to play. If I actually believe that God designed the church to play this role in partnership with parents 
to reach and disciple that next generation. Here at Connect, we have a strategy for this. It's called Orange. It's a curriculum that we use in our youth and in our kids. And this whole idea of this orange curriculum is, is the partnership between the church and the family to impact the next generation. There's a video that this orange organization have put together to illustrate this, and you can watch it here with me now. So we happen to think that this partnership between the church and the family is incredibly important because we really believe that there has to be a plan to influence the next generation. We can't leave it to chance because did you know that already the church isn't the only one trying to influence the next generation? I discovered this week that U.S. companies spend nearly $17 billion dollars that's billion with a B, each year on advertising just to children alone under the age of 18. Whether it's food, clothing, technology, these companies want the attention of children and teenagers. And think about it. I, I know as parents we often bemoan the idea that, man, when I was a kid we didn't have to deal with some of these things, but now as kids are growing up in this, this advanced world of, of multimedia and technology and screens everywhere, they're bombarded with information from all over the place. We're learning that the church isn't the only influence that these kids are experiencing, and, and it seems in many ways that we seem to be losing the fight for the attention of kids in our lives that we're missing this generation. You know, we hear, don't we, of statistics of young people, teenagers who will grow up in a church family and maybe grow up in a church situation, but then they'll leave home at 18 and go off to college, and, and pretty soon maybe their faith falls to the wayside, and the statistics there are quite high. And people study that, and people look at that to try and figure out why that is and what we can do differently, and I'm sure there are many factors that come into that. But I do think that one of the main reasons this happens is what I talked about earlier. It's that generation gap. 
And here's the simplest way when it comes to faith that we can kind of describe the generation gap. It can be defined like this, that one generation believes something, the next assumes it, and then the third forgets or denies it. When it comes to things of faith, we can kind of sum up this generation gap like this, that one generation believes something, the next assumes it, the third forgets or denies it. You see, the reality is in culture, we see so many examples of the cassette tape, don't we? Of something that was very um, relevant in one generation, but then lost its relevance as generations went on. Now, I didn't grow up here in America, so I had to go kind of looking around to see what was uh, relevant when, when you guys were young. So uh, this is what I found. Check out this video, and maybe you'll recognize some of the products in this next video clip. Gather round the Jiffy Pop. Gather round the Jiffy Pop. The Jiffy Pop. The Jiffy Pop. Gather round the Jiffy Pop. The family fun treat. Well, she just pops Swanson TV turkey dinners in a hot oven. You know, they're oven ready in individual heat and serve trays. With Swanson TV turkey dinners, you just heat and serve, and you serve big and hearty slices of moist, tender Swanson turkey. With great things for new Dinky Donut cereal. You can win an Atari video game. A video cassette recorder to use on your own TV. A wide screen TV or up to $1,000 cash. All right. Any of you hear of any of that stuff? I just kind of looked around on YouTube. Is that anyone ever eaten a Dinky Donut cereal? No? Okay. I, was going to show, I might as well just show you something that I grew up watching in England. It was that irrelevant. But, um, but we watch those videos and we see those people dancing around to Jiffy Pop popcorn or Swanson TV dinners, whatever it may be. And we're like, wow, that's so dated. That seems so old-fashioned. Even the quality of the advertisements. But the reality is, whether it's Dinky Donuts, a video cassette recorder, the cassette tape, these things were crazy popular at one time, but over time they've faded in our culture. One generation believes something, the next assumes it, and then the third forgets it. So what about God? Does this generational principle apply in spiritual truths as well? Is our faith this morning, if you're here this morning, you're an adult and you're a follower of Jesus, is our faith destined to go the way of the cassette tape and jiffy pop popcorn? Well, I've turned to the scriptures this morning to find out, and initially I wasn't too encouraged. I went back to the Old Testament and I read about King David. David was a strong follower of God. He had a strong connection with God. The Bible actually refers to him as a man after God's own heart. Listen to this description of King David. It says, after removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to if you know the story of King David, you know he wasn't perfect, but he was a man who loved God. Now, David had a son named Solomon. Solomon was probably better described as, as somebody who had a divided heart. He was a great and wise man. He loved God, but on the other hand, he was also captivated by, by riches and by women. Listen to the description of Solomon. It says, so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. This family line continues, and Solomon has his own son. His son's name is Rehoboam. Now, the Bible describes him as an evil king who did wicked things in the eyes of the Lord, who allowed evil to spread throughout his entire kingdom. Listen to what it's, how it describes him. King Rehoboam, 
He established himself firmly in Jerusalem and continued as king. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Naamah. She was an Ammonite. He did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. We see three generations here of the same family. One generation believed something, the next assumed something, and the third forgot or denied it. You know, we see the same with Abraham. Earlier on before David, Abraham, um, he was known as the father of Israelites. He was God's chosen man, a man of faith. But even Abraham's legacy of faith didn't get very far in his own family. We read that his grandsons literally went to war with each other. And they chose to disobey their parents and ultimately to dishonor God. And as I read through these families and these situations, I was, I was disheartened at the idea of, are we fighting a losing battle here? If we have faith this morning, is it inevitable that that faith is going to fade over time and go the way of the cassette tape? But thankfully, I came across an anomaly. I came to the New Testament and I found the story of a great young man by the name of Timothy. And it seems that Timothy broke the pattern of David and Abraham and set a new precedent that we can take confidence in our following this morning. Listen to how it's described here. Paul is writing to Timothy himself. And he's, he's talking to Timothy and he says here in, in, two, in his second letter to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this re reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, did you catch that in the middle there? He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, and listen to how Paul describes it, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. As we read this, we discover that Timothy is a third generation, at least, follower of Jesus. It began with his grandmother, it continued with his mother, and now it was in him as well. And there's a word for this, it's called legacy. The legacy was passed along from one generation to another. He was the recipient of a long legacy of faith. In fact, I think if, if Timothy had been here last week, or Lois, his grandma, she would have taken seriously what we were talking about, the idea that it was her responsibility to pass on what she believed about God to her daughter, and that her daughter chose to pass it along to Timothy. That Timothy grew up experiencing this foundational faith that both his mom and his grandma had instilled into him. But here's the great thing. While Timothy enjoyed the blessing of a family who left his great legacy upon him, I, I realized that the story didn't end there. It wasn't just Lois and Eunice's influence that made Timothy the man he was. In fact, in many ways, that almost seems to be where the story begins. Because Timothy had another major influence in his life outside of his family. And that was the Apostle Paul himself. You know, Paul first met Timothy when he was on a missionary journey. And at this meeting, Paul sees something in Timothy. 
And he decides, man, this guy has a heart for God. I want to pour into Timothy. I want to raise him up to be the leader that I believe he can be. Paul started to disciple and mentor him. You see, at this point, when Paul first met Timothy, he was just a young believer. But he made himself available to learn from someone older and wiser. And Paul took on that challenge. Listen to how Paul describes some of the encounters between him and Timothy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he's writing to the church in Corinth, talking about Timothy. He says this, For this reason I've sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. In another letter to a church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 22, he says, But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. It's like Paul's referring to him as his son. He's saying, I I look to this young man like a son of mine who I can pour into. Paul had had partnered with with Lois and Eunice, the grandma and the mom, and then Paul comes along. And this partnership we see take place, it's almost like a partnership between the family and the church pouring into the life of Timothy. In fact, we find here this this orange experience. Timothy had this solid faith foundation, the red that was built in his home. But then through his, his relationship with Paul, who represents the church, the yellow comes in, and Timothy gets to experience orange. The home and the church partnering together to leave a legacy in the next generation. And I feel like this is what God has called us here at Connect to do is to partner with families and help build that legacy in the next generation. The psalmist writes in Psalm 71, Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. It's up to us to declare the power of God to the next generation. So as a church here this morning, Connect Church, we've made this commitment to declare the power of God to the next generation, to leave that legacy. And we actually have a plan. We don't want to just leave it to chance. So we're very intentional at every phase that the kids who are a part of Connect, at every single phase they go through, we want to have a plan to leave a legacy, to partner with you as families to impact those generations. Because even though it's just a phase, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss those phases in the lives of the kids here at Connect. So I want to illustrate some of the ways that we've endeavored to impact the lives of these kids this morning. If you're a parent here this morning, or a grandparent, or an uncle, or an aunt, we've given you a resource. It's on your seats. It's called the Legacy Card. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that now, of how we can look at these different phases and how we can impact. Because did you know that at every phase your kids go through, there's a different need they have. Spiritually, there's a different um, question that they're asking. And we want to be answering the right questions at the right phases. So in preschool, the question those kids are asking, even if they're not actually asking themselves, is, am I safe? Am I safe? As a a preschooler starts their journey in life, they're looking for safety and security, initially from their parents, and then when they arrive here. That's why when you drop your kids off at preschool and you just get settled in your seat, and that number comes up on the screen, 
And I know how you do it. You wait just about 10, 15 seconds, and then you get up making loud. Oh, I'm going for another reason. <laughs> That's not my kid. Because they're, they're, this is something safety is security, and we try and create that environment in our preschool rooms. We have a, uh, some wonderful volunteers to create that safe experience. Because in the preschool phase, they're looking for safety and security, both physically and emotionally. So as a church, we're very intentional in embracing their physical needs. When you embrace the preschool phase, it's not only to make them feel safe, but to reveal to them that there is a God who loves them and who cares for them and who protects them. We've got a great lady on staff here. She works with us, Sandra Menson, and she oversees all of the preschool area. And serving underneath Sandra, we've got so many wonderful volunteers. And there's just one volunteer I want to highlight here. Her name's Michelle Hudson. She's a, a great lady there. She is with her son. She's been with us since the very beginning of Connect. And she is a faithful um, volunteer on a regular basis. And because she served so long in the preschool area, many of you have brought your kids. And they, they're a little nervous, but there's a familiar face every time they come. She serves on a regular basis with the intention of creating that safe environment for those preschool kids. We are so blessed at Connect to have Michelle and so many others who volunteer as a part of Connect Church to impact that generation. Then these kids move into the elementary phase of their lives. And elementary brings its own questions. The, the question that those 5 through 11-year-olds are starting to ask is, do I have what it takes you see, the elementary phase is looking for an audience. If you've got a child between the ages of 5 and 11, you'll know that there's a lot of attention needed. There's a lot of questions asked. They're looking for an audience to demonstrate all the things they can do. They want your attention and your affection. So as a church, we need to engage their interests. And when we engage that elementary phase, not only are we giving them their attention, but we're revealing to them that there is a God who has created them with uniqueness and significance. That's the message that week in, week out is being communicated there in uh, our K through 5 area. We've got a wonderful lady by the name of Alicia Bambrick. There's a picture of her with her family there. She has some incredible volunteers. Here's one of those volunteers, Kate Fetters. Great lady, a member here at Connect, and just one of the many, many, many volunteers in Connect Kids who on a regular basis is sitting down on rugs with kindergartners and first graders and second graders and third graders and so on, engaging with them, answering that question, do I have what it takes? That's the elementary phase. And then following that, we move into middle school. Those are exciting years, aren't they? If you're a parent, those middle school years. There's a question that many middle schoolers are asking, who do I like? It's a phase of longing for identity and friendship. Peer pressure starts to creep in in those middle school years because they're looking for affirmation and acceptance. They're seeking it from every source possible. So here as a church, we have a great program in Connect Youth where we want to affirm their personal journey. Because you see, when you affirm that middle school phase, you're not, phase, you're not only saying that we accept you for who you are, but you're helping them to find value in that community. You're revealing to them a God who uniquely wired them for a relationship with him. That God wants to know them intimately and connect with them. You know, we also have the next phase, which is high school. 
Now the, the maturity is kind of settling in. They're, they're no longer in middle school, but not quite an adult yet. And they're, they're going through these questions like, why should I believe? Why should I believe you? You see the high school phases when teens start to ask those big questions. They're wrestling with doubts and peer pressure, conflicting messages. Maybe for the first time, they're starting to think about their future and what that looks like. So as a church, we've, we've made this commitment to mobilize their potential. When you mobilize that high school phase, you're unleashing students to take ownership. You're freeing them to say, you know, to, to help them discover their faith, to take ownership of their faith, not their parents' faith, but to discover who they are and who Jesus is to them, of helping them reach their friends and peers, of being involved in ministry. We love to give students the opportunity to be the church now. You know, in middle school and high school here at Connect, we got a great couple in Justin and Caitlin Kilpatrick. And then wonderful leaders. This is Amber and Eli Chapman, great leaders. And right now, this is significant to me. I have two kids who, who fit in this group, middle school and high school. And I love that I get to pour into the life of my kids, but I love that the church is also pouring into the life of my students. You know, Will, he's starting to learn to play the guitar, so Eli and Justin and some of the others he really connects with in the high school group because they're musicians. And uh, Will is always asking Eli questions about everything. In fact, just recently, um, we'd got this old computer we were trying to fix, and I had it in my living room, and I'd taken it apart, and I was working at trying to fix it, and Will said, Dad, should we call Eli? Maybe see if he could help us? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and I asked Eli if he had any experience with computers. He said, not really, but somehow in Will's mind, we need to check with Eli. He may, <laughs> I'm sure he'll know. Dad, you probably don't know, but I bet Eli. <laughs> and I love that because there are other adults and young adults now in the life of my kids who they're looking up to, who they're seeing as examples of faith, who are the Pauls to their Timothy. You know, in our house, we've, we've strived to follow the example of, of Timothy's mother and grandmother. And we're very fortunate to have some wonderful godly parents as well. So we get to see that poured into the life of our kids. But I love that there are also leaders at Connect that are also pouring into the life of our kids. You know, as I pulled those pictures up this morning, I could have chosen hundreds of pictures. We've got so many great volunteers who serve here at Connect in the kids and youth programs. The thing that always amazes me most about them is many of them I'll talk to and I'll say, wow, you, you're really good at this. They're like, I know. I, I didn't know. I just was volunteering because I, I felt bad. I thought maybe they need some help. But now I can't believe how much God is using me to impact the lives of these kids. You know, maybe you're the next small group leader in Connect Kids. Maybe you're the next volunteer leader in the youth group. Maybe you're the next preschool group leader. Maybe God wants to use you as a part of Connect Church to be able to tell some of those stories and impact the lives of those children. You see, I need the church to invest in my kids. I can't do it on my own because it's just a phase, and I really want to make it count. So as a church this morning, that's our commitment to you. That as we spoke last week about the idea that we have that responsibility as parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and teachers and coaches to pour into this, this wonderful next generation, that we as a church, we want to partner with you in that, help to resource you and work together to create that orange, that red and that yellow together 
to impact the next generation so that we won't miss those phases when they come. Let's pray. Father, just starting out this morning, watching that video, it can be so overwhelming to us this morning if we have kids or grandkids, nephews or nieces. If we're here this morning as followers of Jesus, we have such a heart and desire that, um, that our faith, what you mean to us, doesn't go the way of the cassette tape, that it won't be something that we believe, that they assume, and that the next generation forgets. Thank you, Lord, for examples like Timothy, who can show, Lord, that um, from generation to generation, you can be something that's passed along, and we can find faith in you in every generation. So help us this morning, Lord. Thank you that we as a church can partner with families, and we can pour into this generation and make a difference in their lives. We just, uh, we love you. We pray you be with us this week in Jesus' name. Amen.